Mac Power Users, episode 250. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast, show 250. I'm Katie Floyd, as always, alongside with my pal, David Sparks. Welcome to show 250, David. Are we about done yet? What? We're just getting started, Katie Floyd. You know, this show's never going to last a year. Well, that's what you said, <laughs> no, not me. No. I had ye of little faith. I was ready. <laughs> but uh, yeah, apparently we we did last a, a little more than a year. We've been we've been going on. Gosh, two thousand nine, I think, is when we started. Who, yeah. who would have thought? You thought? Yeah, and we've got outlines. We got a lot of we got a lot of content in the hopper as it is. So a lot more coming. But it's yeah. kind of exciting to get to two hundred and fifty. The magical list, Katie. Congratulations to you as as well, David. And we've made a lot of changes along the way. You know, we're we're sitting here uh, talking to a guest. We we should introduce our our guest. Welcome, Brent and Bernie, to the show. Yes, thank you, and congratulations to both of you. I I remember the first episodes. It's just amazing. Two hundred and fifty. Yeah, I'm honored to be two fifty guest. Yeah, well, we didn't know that. If we had known you, it, this was two fifty when we scheduled you. We would have picked somebody, somebody much more better. Yeah, yeah, yeah much more special. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we've also got a chat room. That's that's a new development. We I don't think we even had. Did we have that in show two? Well, I think we might have had that in show two hundred. Yeah, I don't know. But, I've uh, lost track. I was yeah. just doing the math. 250 episodes times an average of 1.5 hours. It's oh, I don't, three, no, I don't want to know. 375 hours of us yakking about this stuff. Oh, nobody that's wants to of, hear. That's and a lot of time. And I'm an introvert. I don't talk to people. Yeah, that's funny because, you know, when I meet people uh, who are fans of the show, they, they know so much about me and you. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, and, you know, that's why, because we've been talking for 375 hours and a little bit of the uh, the personal comes out over that yeah. much time. But anyway, it's, it's awesome, Kitty. Congratulations. And, it, um, it's great. Well, thank you for, for uh, hanging in with me all this all this time, David. And uh, we, we look forward to many, many more. Um, before we, we start the show today, I do have a quick announcement. Um, we normally record Mac Power Users Live, and it was actually just a happy coincidence that 250 uh, was on our regular live stream schedule. But we normally record this show live on the first Saturday of the month, 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, uh, 2 p- uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, uh, and I believe it's 5 p.m. GMT, but there's that weird time zone change that happens right about this time of year, so it may not normally be that. Um, but the next live show is going to be on the second Saturday of next month. That's on May 9th, not May 2nd. I'm actually going to be out of town for a family wedding uh, on May 9th. My my aunt is getting married, so uh, I hope I hope you in the chat room won't mind if we uh, we push the live show back a week. Yeah, and so and by then we will all have our fancy new watches and lots to talk about. That's true. That's true. So, uh well, let's let's kick it off with the the reason that that Brett is here and I'm actually going to be seeing you in in just a couple of weeks from now at the uh at the ABA Tech Show. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it's a nerdy geek geek fest well just for a certain collection of people. <laughs> it's mostly for lawyers, but very much looking forward to it. Uh, disappointed that David can't make it. He's come to, I think, maybe the last four shows at least, David. But we're thrilled that finally, Katie, that you've been able to uh, uh, are going to make it this time. Yeah, but you only let the good lawyers in, right? Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I can, I can tell you, this is the nicest group of lawyers that you are ever going to meet. If, you know, <laughs> if we're going to, and that's, I'm not like joking. I mean, the first time I went, I just could not believe, because most lawyers are, you know, so a lot of them are kind of, you know, jerks. And 
boy, you got the texture. Everybody's so nice. And, you know, a bunch of nerdy lawyers getting together to figure out how to make their practice more efficient. I mean, what right. could be wrong with that? I can't right. go this year because my daughter has a school thing. But the um, but I will be there next year. And I'm so happy that Katie's yes. going to be there. Yeah, me yeah. too. Well, we've been wanting to get both of you guys there for so long. So I, I just quickly I'll say, David, I remember the first year had to be at least four years ago, may, maybe five. And I remember we sat there because we don't really have a lot of Mac uh, classes for lawyers because it's very small percentage of lawyers that use anything on the on the Mac side. But you gave a presentation and I remember you using Keynote. And again, it was multiple versions back. And you had this uh, intersection, two roads, and like you were trying to show how you could use Keynote to animate a car coming into this this intersection and, and having a wreck. And I just, I remember the, the room just was baffled, like, wow, you could actually do a, a simple animation that way. And so, yeah, it's that kind of thing that obviously it's for lawyers, it's for their practice, but it was just being able to use the tools that we have on this Mac side. And so it's lots of good memories. Yeah, and I got to tell you, David and I are working on that. Uh, not many lawyers using Mac things. I think we're making progress. Yes, you are. So, all right, <laughs> but but that's probably the extent of us talking about you know lawyering stuff because that's not what most of our our audience wants to hear. You right. actually had a, a re- and by the way, I have put a link to Tech Show in the show notes. If there are any Mac using lawyers out there or PC using lawyers, they're allowed to sure. uh, who who do want to come <laughs> to Tech Show. I think pre registration is closed, but they can still register on site if they want to come this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, and we have a variety. I, mean, I think the registration is probably just still open this, this weekend. It's April 16th through the 18th. So as you said, it's about a week and a half, but you can absolutely register on site. We just had a big phone call about that yesterday. And so uh, we'll be ready for anybody and yeah. everybody that wants to come. Thank you. Yeah. But you had a great suggestion of, of a topic and one that I didn't even think of. And, and that was about scanning on the go because so much of what we do now is on the go. You know, we're, we're not necessarily lugging our document scanners around with us wherever right. we are. And, and sometimes, you know, we find or come across documents or, or we have to pull in documents, you know, just, as we are, whether it's scanning a receipt because we need to record something for tax purposes um, or or making a, a record of something. And, and you had a, a great idea for a discussion on on iOS document scanning. And we've certainly touched on that in the past, but it's never something we've we've dived deep in. Yeah, uh, I, I, this is something that I do pretty much every day in my in my consulting practice. I work with lawyers on the legal technology side. And while I do a lot of litigation support, or that's, again, very, very uh, nerdy for just the lawyer side, and e-discovery is something that we do in civil litigation. But I also do work with a lot of lawyers that use Macs and iPads. And, and um, I, I give a lot of training to lawyers and law firms that want to know how they can use the iPad better in their everyday practice. And we do a lot of continuing legal education. So I do a lot of presentations. And one of the things that I always show lawyers is the fact that you can use your your iPhone and your iPad, frankly, any tablet, I guess, and or or, uh, or phone, but certainly the iPhone and the iPad are so much better, I think, at it and certainly have much better apps than you're going to find in other ecosystems. But lawyers as both of you know, deal with a ton of paper. It just, it just amazes me that all this talk about paperless practices for so long and people still have to deal with paper, even though any paper that you get today started its life as an electronic document, right? The only reason it's paper is because we hit print. There's nothing that started its life really as a piece of paper unless you maybe do some handwritten notes that we may still have. But m- the vast majority of documents that professionals deal with today were 
uh, something from Microsoft Word or a PDF, for example, that we've printed out. So the thing is, you can't get away from the paper. And you're going to run into paper all the time. When I go to meetings, for example, or clients, and when you guys go and meet with your clients, for example, they're always handing you papers or they print something out. And I always prefer to have a digital copy of that, if at all possible. Or I'd rather just email it if they could. But there's places, times when you have to actually deal with the paper. Can't take my scan snap with me everywhere I go. Because if I'm sitting at a desk, that's what I'm using, right? That's the best scanner that I use on a daily. I still have the older 1500 here just because the thing won't die. But I'm willing, I'm happy to, to upgrade. Uh, absolutely. But I can't take that anywhere with me. And, you know, they, know they have a portable version. But I do always have my iPhone and my iPad. So I like using both of those as a portable scanner. Now, people have done this already. We, I, I know you guys have talked about this before. You can scan receipts. And that's a good way to be able to get a cup of Starbucks, scan the receipt, and you can throw the receipt out, for example, and then you can send it on to an accountant or so. People use this to do scan business cards. Uh, I, I still do that. I, I hate to have to have a business card, so I just scan it basically with some of the apps that are out there, and that's pretty simple. But I use this actually for full-on documents. As I said, if it's a Word document or a PDF, somebody hands me at a meeting, for example, this is a schedule. Well, I don't even have a regular pen that I carry with me anymore. <laughs> I just take all my notes on my iPad. But if I don't have a digital version of that, I can't pull it into, you know, Good Notes or or uh, Note Shelf or Notability, for example, and, and handwrite my notes on that. So I just will use an app uh, to scan the document and create a PDF. And so anyway, that was a, that was a long setup for that. But that's pretty much the areas <laughs> where where I'm using some of these apps that we're going to talk about. And over the years, you know, the iPhone camera, and probably people are primarily using their iPhone, although certainly you can use your iPad, but the iPhone camera in particular has gotten better and better yes. and better. Are, are you finding that you're getting good enough quality out of these scans? Or when, you, when you're coming back, you're saying, yeah, that's, that's kind of a picture I took with my phone. Yeah, good, good enough is the operative word. <laughs> it's, it's never as good as if I you came back to my office put it into a flatbed scanner or into the Fujitsu scan snap. Those are, those scans are always going to be far superior, but that's it. And then I always tell people, you got to make sure you have a very good camera. And I truly actually don't even recommend going less than an iPhone five S at least at this point, the six, I think even has a better camera. I use an iPad air two, which has a better camera even than the iPad air. I, you got to have a good camera in order to do this. And so, yes, they are good enough. And sometimes you can tweak this also, Katie. In fact, when you go into these apps, the fact that you're, you're basically just using the camera to take a picture of it. So I, I will use scan. I say scan with air quotes a lot of times because it's really not, I mean, I, I guess it is a scan because the scanner is really just taking a picture of a document, but we're just using the camera on an iPhone or an iPad to take a picture of a document. And then there are tools in these apps, for example, so that you can, convert it either from a color version of the document or just a plain black and white version or a grayscale version, which most of you, anybody that's done scanning knows that there are some of these options there. But in some cases, for example, if I get a document that has color text on there or that uh, there's some colored background, for example, and I don't care to have the color necessary, necessarily, if I even use a camera and I can just take a picture of the document and then convert it to a black and white text, in some cases that may look better because all I really care about is just having the text sometimes in those documents. So there's wanna, a few things you can do to change that yeah, around. I want to back up just a little bit. A couple a couple points I'd add is that when you're taking these pictures, one of the best favors you can do yourself is getting good lighting for yes. the image. Yes. And, and like if you're in a room with a window, 
go next to the window. The sun is the best source of lighting. I mean, and, um, uh, you know, the incandescent lights you find in offices and buildings isn't really a very good source of lighting. So if if you're near a window, just go over the window, set it on the ledge and take a picture. And the other thing is be, um, you know, be aware of like shadows across the page. A lot of time when you take the picture with your phone, um, depending on the lighting, you may have a big shadow of your phone across the center of the page. And then all of a sudden, um, that really affects your ability to do the OCR and, and the other steps later. So kind right. of make sure that you've got a clean image of the, of the um, document that it's well lit and it's universally lit. There's no like shadows across the page and that will incru- improve the quality quite a bit. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the other thing you can do with a lot of these apps is it will allow you, if you've got a multi-page document, to stitch them together so that, you know, I can't tell you, I've, I've said people, I need you to sign this and send it, scan it and send it back to me. And they literally take a picture with their phone using the camera app and then email me the picture. And so what I get is just a JPEG of a picture of something sitting on their desk. I'm like, hmm, no, <laughs> not going to work. Right. Well, you, uh-huh. you can you can do some work on that. You can turn it into a PDF once you receive it. Right. Want, right. But. but I mean, in many of these scammer, can, uh, scanning apps are, are free now. So it's like, nah, I mean, yeah, you, you could have just with a little little more effort, you could have you could have accomplished a much better result and, and saved me some work. So, Brent, what is your workflow for this? I mean, you've obviously had a lot of experience with this. Have you developed a, a method that, that you like best? Uh, yes. So you know, just quickly to your point, you could actually just use the camera app inside an iPhone or an iPad to, again, quote, scan, <laughs> air quote, scan, or just take a picture of the document. And I think where David was going, you can you could turn that in, you know, even if you just sent the picture back to your Mac, you could turn that into a PDF using PDF Pen Pro or, or Adobe Acrobat or probably even Preview. I think you can even export that out as, as a PDF. But um, and, and on I, that point, Brett, yeah, I, go ahead. I just, just recently I had a client and she has really no technical ability at all. And she's far away and she received something in the mail and she was freaking out. And I said, can you scan it and email it to me? No, I can't do that. You know, do you have a fax? I don't know fax. what's a fax machine, you know? And so I, um, I said, you got a phone? She said, yeah. I said, take a picture of it and email it to me. I, I'm not going to ask this person to get a scanning app and, you know, scan bot right. or PDF pen. I'm going to say, just email me a picture. And then on my end, exactly. I can take that. And then I've got the tools on my end to turn it into a legitimate PDF. Right, right. And, and that's where I, I just was saying that you, you could just use even that camera. You could even do it, as I said, on the Mac, or you could even do it in, in some apps on uh, the iPad. But I, I, I prefer to use an app that's specifically designed for this purpose on the scanning side. Uh, and I, I would say, uh, I guess about a year ago or a couple of years ago when I started doing this quite a bit, my, my favorite app was Scanner Pro from, is it is it Riedel or Riedel? I can never remember. I, think I ca- have always called it Riedel, but I've Riedel. been told it's Riedel. So. <laughs> Riedel. So I love anything that they do. I mean, those guys are fantastic. Their apps have always been fan- great. PDF Expert to me is one of the greatest apps that I use constantly on the iPad and the iPhone as well. But So they have a scan uh, app and I used to use that. I love the interface. That was the reason I like Scanner Pro. I think it was six ninety nine, although it may still be on sale. I think I saw it on sale for like three dollars instead now. But that app doesn't have OCR. We'll come back around to that. So I had to use another app to go along with that to make sure that I got all of the steps that, that I wanted to do. But now Scanbot is the app that I turn to now. It's a, it's a, it's a no brainer. In fact, it's free now. I paid buck ninety nine. I think for the for the 
you know, you pay, you, you pay for the initial cost and then there is a pro upgrade inside. And that is a no brainer when we get to the OCR side, just a little extra um, features that they provide inside the pro version is a no brainer for ScanBot. So it's ScanBot, one word, it's now free. And then there's an in-app purchase for the pro upgrade. So that is my go-to app now. There's no question. In fact, I think even um, you guys have probably talked about this before. Is it Frederico? I know he's talked about that on Mac Stories too, that he's been starting to, uh, to use ScanBot. So the interface in ScanBot is absolutely fantastic. And so that's where I go. If I got a document, lay it down on a, I try to lay it down on a flat surface of some kind. And, and along with what David was saying, using the window, or if it's an overhead light, I got to make sure there's no shadows in it. I try to lay the paper or the document down on a contrasting background, uh, you know, so it's not kind of messy, although it doesn't really matter because you can always crop the document once that you actually take the picture of it. So ScanBot is where I go. You go in there and immediately the camera app open or the camera opens in ScanBot. You obviously have to allow the iPad or the ScanBot app to use the iPad's camera. Just tap OK. And I think now, in fact, I've seen most of these apps now have an automatic feature on there. So you see you had to hold it and then, you know, you had to make sure your thumb was either there's either using the, you know, tapping the home button or there's usually a little circle button on the actual screen. You had to make sure your thumb could reach that, but then you're moving again. But a lot of these apps, including ScanBot, in fact, the Evernote update that just happened for the iOS apps, now you just simply hover over top of the document. And as long as it can kind of recognize the four corners of the document, then it'll sort of automatically take a, uh, take a picture for you. You can turn that it, off it, so you don't, no, you don't well, require actually, to do that. It, it does more than that because it, it uses the gyroscope to determine when your camera is still. Nice. So it gets a, it's much less likely to get a blurry picture. Both ScanBot and PDF Pen Scan Plus have that feature where they'll detect the, uh, they'll detect the borders, but they'll also, they'll take the picture when they're going to get the best picture. So yeah. you just, you really should leave that on and just hold it over. Now tell me, last time I tried ScanBot, the gripe I had was it wanted to save to the ScanBot folder. It would not let me pick where the save location was. Have they fixed that? I believe so. Were you going, in, you mean in iCloud or in Dropbox? In Dropbox. Because I wanted to save it to a specific location in Dropbox, and it would only save to the ScanBot folder. And that, that screws me up because I've got this whole thing that yeah. happens in my action folder. Right. So then you Hazel are. looks at the ScanBot folder, moves anything in the ScanBot folder to the action yeah, folder, I, and then I could you're do done. That. I could yeah. do that, but that's an extra step. And, you know, why Why does the app limit me that way? So that, that was a turnoff for me. But that, anyway. That, that has been fixed. I'm looking at it right now. In fact, in fact, they 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 just actually had a pretty big. In fact, I know Frederico wrote wrote about this. They had a big update on this because now you can even send it to uh, Wonderlist or a couple of others, even for like task reminders. But the Dropbox is one of the options for an auto upload. So as soon as you have an image, it automatically uploads whether it's a JPEG or PDF, whatever you select on there. But now you can select whether it goes to uh, uh, well, like I can even automatically upload it to Evernote or I could upload it to Dropbox and I can pick my folder now. So Good. they've improved it quite a bit. Good. I'll check it out again. Good. Well, so you get the image. Now, one of the points you had made earlier, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit, is I find that uh, once you've taken the color image, converting it to black and white is generally the best, re- gets me the best results for the OCR. Yes. yes. Um, it's it's tempting to say, well, I'll make it OC, I'll make it grayscale because it looks prettier on the screen when it's grayscale. But you want as much contrast as you can between those letters and that white background. And if you just make it black and white, not only does it make the image smaller, in, in my experience, it makes the right. OCR a little better. Right, right, absolutely. And probably everybody listening understands OCR. It's the optical character recognition, or it's 
in some apps is called text recognition. It's the idea that we're, since we're taking a picture of the document, well, let me back up one. You know, you can convert, especially on the Mac, which is wonderful. You can convert any document from any application on a Mac into a PDF, right? We can, I usually just still do the print or <laughs> one of your oldie but goodies tips, uh, David from Mac Sparky long ago is you set up that, you know, command PP, right? That it would automatically go to the print, yeah. go through the print, um, I wrote that up in like 2006 and I people still link it. <laughs> I know. I tell you, it's an oldie but goodie. So anyway, it goes through the print dialogue, but it saves to PDF. So if you have a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet or something on your on your Mac, you print a PDF that way. Immediately, number one, the PDF is so much nicer. It's so much more efficient. It's a smaller file size. It looks fantastic. And it's 100% searchable, right? Because it's a digital conversion into a PDF file. But if we're doing a scan here, then it's a picture and it literally is a picture. Now, human eyeballs can read the text, but the computer can't read the text. And that's why we go through this, this OCR process where we're literally having the computer try to recognize each character by going over this and you can do this in PDF pen and Adobe Acrobat and preview, I think has some capabilities, but there's not a lot of apps that will do it on the iPad. And again, here you're never going to get as good of a quality OCR. I don't think with the apps on the iPad as probably you're going to get, if you use PDF pen pro or Adobe Acrobat on, on the Mac to do that, because again, usually it's, they have a little more horsepower that they can, that a Mac or the application can apply to that. But what we're talking about here is it's, it's, it's good enough. <laughs> and many times you just need the document and it's good enough to actually go through and, and recognize uh, uh, that text. And so having that conversion, you know, like you, just like you said, it has to be that contrast that the computer can see. And even then, even if we see it looks like it's a T, for example, or, or the letter E, and in some cases as humans, we can see that, of course, that looks like an E, but the computer may still get a little confused about it and sometimes it'll... It'll read an E as a T or, or vice versa. Or, you know, it's, it, we see it's a one because of the font. It's a one, but the computer may read it as an L or a lowercase L or something along those lines. You're always going to get some of that. It's, I don't find it's never 100% when you're doing OCR. And in some cases, Katie, as you talked about, some of these pictures aren't going to look the greatest. They're good enough, but you got to make sure that you can have the best lighting, the best camera, the best picture, and the best contrast on this, which is what you're talking about, David. And sometimes going to the black and white and having it read the, or, or try to attempt to recognize the characters in black and white, it's going to work out a little bit better. Sometimes it doesn't work so good with colored fonts, for example, or text. And so going into the black and white, definitely uh, it's going to be better. And like you said, smaller file size as well. It's funny because, you know, just we all take this for granted now, or at least us nerds that have had any experience with it. But this stuff is really easy to do. If you ha if you haven't done this, get one of these apps and try it because you're going to yeah. be amazed how easily you can make a scan on the go. And I don't do it for documents so much. Usually I, I actually do bring documents home and put them in the scanner. But the um, but boy, even just for receipts and things, it is so convenient and 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 I've said this on the show before, but I grew up reading Cold War fiction. That was like a thing when I was a kid. I, you know, I remember being a little kid thinking about, you know, Cold War stuff. And uh, I always had this this thing about getting one of those spy cameras. And every time I pull out my phone to take a picture of a document or a receipt, there's just a little part of me that gets kind of excited. I can't help myself. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> Brett, 
it's it's long overdue. We're so glad that you came on the show to share this with us. And um, good luck with Tech Show this year. I'm sure it's going to be awesome as always. We didn't mention at the beginning of the show, it, it's in Chicago. So not only do you get to meet the nicest group of lawyers in the entire world, you get to go to Chicago, which is just a great city. And you're right across the street from the museum. So you can, you can walk across to the museum, which is really nice. Still at the Hilton, right? The big Hilton? It is. Yeah. His, the historic Hilton, as I say. In yeah. fact, it used to be the Stevens Hotel from... The family of John Paul Stevens. Not many people yeah. really care too much about that, but it's it's a beautiful location. Thank you guys for letting me uh, for mentioning it. I appreciate it. It's a great it's a great conference and um and good luck and I will definitely see you next year. It's already on my calendar. I am good. not going to miss it, hell or high water. Good, good. And I'll see you in a week and a half, Katie. I'm very much looking forward to you guys because we even have a power users panel. Apologies for uh, uh, borrowing the, yeah, the name. Yeah, so, so I think someone has just some money there. We'll, 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 we'll talk when I get there. We'll, we'll have to talk. But 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 that is, I'm so much looking forward to, to that session. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And you guys are going to share all kinds of great stuff. So thanks again for mentioning it. I appreciate it, guys. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, um, that's great. Uh, I'm really glad we had Brett on and we were able to talk a little bit about scanning with our phones. Uh, Before we move on, maybe we should take a minute to talk about a sponsor. So we'll take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that is the good folks over at Connected Data, and they make the Transporter. Now, Transporter is a device we've talked about on the show before. It's a hardware product that will allow you to create your own private cloud to securely sync files between your own computers, share with friends, family, and colleagues. Uh, There's also a Transporter app for iOS that lets you access files anywhere you have an internet connection. And this month, the folks at Connected Data asked us to tell you a little bit about how we use our Transporters. Now, I've been using Transporter since it was in beta, before it was released to the public, and I've got to tell you, it has become an essential part of my workflow. And since this is MPU Live and it's a little bit behind the scenes, I thought I'd tell you how I use Transporter in making Mac Power users. And in fact, uh, Mac Power users may not be possible without Transporter, or at least it would be a lot more difficult. Because with Mac Power users, David and I have to share, along with our co-hosts and along with um, our editing team, very large files back and forth. So immediately after this episode is finished, um, I will collect all of the audio from all of the various participants of this show. Um, David is recording his separate audio track on Skype. Uh, Brett, who was just on the show, will send me a link to get his separate audio from Skype. Um, I've got my separate audio file, and, and when I say they're from Skype, I actually mean that they are separately recorded. Um, from our own separate microphones. And then we've got all of the audio comments that were submitted along with this episode. So we will have multiple tracks of audio uh, that will have to be split out and we'll end up with multiple audio files, including the original Skype file. Once we have all of those files, uh, I will collect them, I'll name them, I'll organize them, and I'll put them all into a single folder. In this case, that folder will be called MPU250. Um, and then I'm going to compress that folder and I'm going to upload that to Mark Miles, who edits this episode of Mac Power Users. Now, when Mark started editing Mac Power Users, he said, I edit shows for other people, but my main requirement is that it's a transporter based workflow system. Um, we have tried other methods of uploading files to people, uh, whether it's cloud sync services or FTP, and transporter has worked the best because I can zip up this file. Uh, many times I do it first thing in the morning before I go to work because we've recorded the 
show the previous evening. That show then very quickly uploads to my transporter because it's happening on a local internet connection. Um, and then I can close my computer and leave. It may take 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the size and number of files that I have to transport, uh, for those files to actually get to Mark to edit. But it doesn't matter. I don't have to be here. Those files upload over to Mark's transporter. He gets them, edits the show, uh, and then does what he needs to with them. But the beauty of it is all that communication is now happening transporter to transporter. It's happening securely and behind the scenes. So you can learn more about all the various transporter models by going to filetransporter.com. See how a transporter can work for you. If you're thinking about maybe using a transporter for your business, lots of companies are using models, and they're different transporters that are designed to handle things for business, and they can handle up to 15 to 150 users with storage capacities from 8 to 24 terabytes. So you can go check out all of those business models as well. Now, for Mac Power users listeners, you're probably looking at a personal model of transporter. We've got a special deal for you because Connected Data wants you to be able to try a transporter, and you use it and figure out how unique it is to your workflow, uh, just like we have. So listeners of Mac Power users in Europe and North America can buy one of the transporter cone models. These are the models that are designed to have a hard drive built into them. Now you can either buy those in zero, 500 gigabytes, one terabyte, or two terabyte of storage capacity. Obviously the zero terabyte models, you've got to put your own hard drive in. So listeners in North America, you can save $60. For you, those of you listening in Europe, you can save 20 euro by purchasing at filetransporterstore.com and entering the coupon code MPU60 just before you check out. So thanks to Transporter for sponsoring this episode of Mac Power Users. Okay, uh, so Katie, um, uh, now you're going to let me talk about the Apple Watch at the beginning of the show today, right? I It's Mac Power Users Live and it's episode 250. So I yeah. feel like I have Happy a birthday. dispensation here. <laughs> I can't stop talking about this thing. I'm excited about it. So the pre-order date's coming up um, in a week or so. Um, are you? Uh, are you? Have you made any decisions now at this point? Uh yes, I think so. I think okay. so, and and I've changed my decisions. <laughs> All right. What what are your decisions? All right. Well, you know, originally I was going to get the low end sport model, and. That I, I made the mistake, and and in retrospect, she was right. I, I made the mistake of you know we we my family does these family dinners every Sunday night, and so after I had made this decision, and right after the Apple announcement, I made this mistake of um, I was at my parents' house and I was working on my mom's computer, and she was asking me about the Apple Watch because you know lots of talk about the Apple Watch, and I said okay, I'll I'll show it to you, and I went on her website and showed her everything that we could do with an Apple Watch, and said well which one are you getting? And I said, oh, I, I think I'm just going to get the, the low-end model. I think I'm going to get the Sport with a, with a white band. And she just kind of looks at me. She says, really? And I said, yeah. She said, why? And I said, well, you know, it's a first-generation product, and I don't want to spend a ton of money on it because chances are I'll probably want to upgrade. And she said, well, don't you think you'll want to wear it other places besides the gym? And I said, well, I, I plan to wear it other places. I, I kind of plan to wear it as, as my everyday watch. And she says, so you're going to wear that to work? Like with a suit? Yeah, see, I don't, I don't agree with mom. I <laughs> and think I, that, and um... I said, yeah. And, and so then she, she, said, she said, no. And, and she explained to me that I needed the shiny one. She, she calls it the shiny one. She explains to me that I needed the shiny one with a nice band because that's that's a, a real watch that I can wear everywhere. 
Yeah, I don't agree with your mom. I okay. think that the um, maybe the you can watch, convince me. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm not going to get what you want. I mean, yeah. I, I, first of all, if you want to get the steel one, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's a nice looking watch. In fact, I've now talked to two separate <laughs> Apple employees who have spent time with the watch who tell me that the steel watch is significantly better than the sport watch. They're like, it's it's just a different class of of jewelry, I guess. Can, can you elaborate any more on what significantly better means? I don't know because they won't say much. You know, my friends that, that work at Apple want to keep their jobs. So, you know, they haven't said, I mean, it does have a different, uh, you know, it has the, um, instead of the glass, it has the sapphire. Um, the sapphire on the front. So it's more scratch resistant. However, the steel one, I keep thinking about those old iPods that got scratched up, the shiny iPods. Remember how scratched up those would get? Mm-hmm. I haven't made my own decision, but I can tell you that I've had uh, two two friends that have spent time with them say that. And um, I think even Federico and I had an email exchange where he said that the steel one is very nice. So I think it is probably significantly a better feel or better watch, but it's it's more money. And, you know, it's, everybody can make their own decision on that. But uh, I, I do think that if you say, oh, I just really can only afford the sport watch or I, I like the anodized aluminum look. You know, because it's not going to get scratched and, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't think you should feel bad about wearing that to work either. I mean, I think it's going to be a nice watch, whichever one you get. Yeah. I, I don't know. My my plan at this point is to get the steel one, but then um, to just buy it with the Apple support band and then look at third party band options. Uh, because I think there are going to be a lot of them. In fact, I um, I backed on Kickstarter, and I don't normally back Kickstarters, but there's a, a product on Kickstarter that makes a lot of sense. It's called Click. And basically what it is is it's an adapter for the Apple Watch that will allow you to use it with a regular watch, a 22 millimeter, which I understand is a standard size watch band. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know which one I'm going to get. I definitely am going to have a leather band. I don't want the, um, see, I don't want to go into a courtroom with the, um, with the thorough last band. summer. Yeah. But see, I w- work out a lot. I mean, I, I spend twice a week and I do, I, I go to the gym, you know, I, I do something physical at least five times a week. So I want to have a sport band. I haven't got this confirmed yet, but I heard from one person that if you buy the steel one, you'll get the regular band plus a sport band. But I have not been able to confirm that. So that doesn't seem to be what indicated is indicated on the Apple store. Yeah, I don't know. know. Well, what? So, but you haven't decided yet. I haven't decided yet, but I, a lot of people keep telling me to get the steel one. So, but I, I still haven't decided. Um, now, are you going to just buy it without trying it on, or are you yes. going to try them on first? Yes. Yeah. I, I am going to pre-order. I'm going to set my alarm, and I think uh, it's it's been confirmed. Apple has confirmed 12:01 a.m. Pacific, which would be 3:01 a.m. for me on the East Coast. And uh, so I'm going to set an alarm. I'm going to be up. I imagine the world is going to be up. Uh, at least our geek friends are going to be up ordering Apple watches. And um, I, my my plan is to, unless you can get better confirmation uh, on as to they're all going to come with sports bands, and I don't think that's true. Um, unless you know, my plan is to order the the, the steel with the black sport band, okay. and, and then and then try to set up you know maybe for the following weekend or something uh, an in store try on appointment because remember my closest Apple store is about sixty miles away, so yeah, it's a it's a day trip for me. All right. So tell me this, Katie Floyd. Um, we got a couple questions in from listeners saying, well, you know, you guys keep talking about the watch. What apps do you want on your watch? Have you given any thought to that? I am very excited just just about the built in apps more than more than anything else. 
you know, I had just just here's two examples from today. Um, well, one was from the other day, but you know, one example was I was I was at my my regular Thursday night spin class, and as we're recording the show, t- tomorrow is Easter. And I normally go to to class on Thursday and on Sunday. And the instructor announced, hey, you know, no class on Sunday because it's Easter, but I'm going to be teaching a makeup class Saturday at 10 a.m. You know, come on Saturday at 10 a.m. instead. And I don't take my phone into the gym, but I would have, of course, had my my Apple watch on me because I would want to have tracked the workout and all of that. And that would have been the perfect opportunity to, you know, make an appointment right there on my watch, you know, make an appointment Saturday at 10 a.m spin class. You know, another opportunity is I was getting cream for my coffee out of the refrigerator this morning and noticed that I was getting very near the end of the container, but my iPhone was sitting, you know, on the table by my my bedside. And and so then I had to go into my bedroom, grab my iPhone and create a reminder to say remind, you know, add cream to my shopping list. And instead, I could have just, you know, Siri is always going to be right on your wrist. I'm just going to be able to do that right then and there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I agree with all that. And did you see that if it's, if your phone and your watch are on the same Wi-Fi network, they don't have to be within Bluetooth range. So that's pretty cool. So if you leave your phone on the charging stand, you can walk around your house or your office and, um, it's, it's, it's going to be like Star Trek, David, because you know, anywhere, you go in in the in the enterprise you can talk to the computer and yeah. you know you can just be standing wherever you are and and ask questions and make commands well now you're going to have the computer is going to be on your wrist so as soon as you get home and or work or wherever you're connected to the same wi-fi network as your phone and your watch you know although it's not going to be in the air in this you know omniscient thing you're going to have access to siri and to all of these other things because it's going to be right there on your watch well, on Star Trek, they used to, didn't they tap their badge? That was how they would. Do you see, sometimes, sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. Well, anyway, um, the, uh, so, so well, what about you? Could, you? I, I'm going to, I want to be able to rename it, you know, with, you know, you can say, Hey Siri, I want to rename it to say computer, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I'll tap it anyway. Hello, even computer. I don't need to. I'll tap it with my finger, just like, you know, Mr. Scott, right? Yeah. And just, just use the keyboard. It. Um, all right, so the, I'll tell you the apps question is interesting. He didn't get that, guys. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, I know what that is. I okay. know what you're talking about. Yeah. But when they went to San Francisco, mm-hmm. and McCoy was saving all those people with pills, that was yeah. a great episode. <laughs> Doctor gave yeah. me some pills, and then I grew a new kidney. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, that's um, good that you remember the line. I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> okay. But in terms of apps, there's a great website out there. And I know this this uh, show will publish just a few days before you can buy the phone, but it'll still be a, a week or two before you get your, your watch, I mean, your Apple Watch. And then this website's called watchaware.com. And if you go there, they're getting, I don't know if the developers are submitting this or the people who are making the website are out scrubbing for it, but they've got all these great screenshots and whatever information they can get on any app that's heading towards the phone I'm sorry, I keep saying the phone. Any app that's heading towards a watch, they've got images there, like the OmniFocus one there, and it's awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it really looks like like I can flag an item, add a new inbox item. There's like a lot of stuff I can do for my watch. I saw one on there that has a um, the ability. Uh, I mean, there's just several apps. I mean, there's 13 different pages of these apps. Yeah. Dark Sky looks very cool because now you're going to know when it's going to rain anywhere. Yeah, exactly. Right and you know that some of the third party mail apps are on there um 
There's a, you can do GPS tracking, which you can already do. Um, there's just a, a lot of interesting looking apps heading our direction. And so I'm going to have a lot of fun with that. I understand that the development isn't really, um, you know, it doesn't give the developers a lot that they can do on the watch. It's basically a satellite view of the iPhone app. Right. But still, why not? Like there's a loyalty card app. Well, that seems like a, a perfect fit for the phone. I don't know how this this one's called Stocard, S-T-O-C-A-R-D. Yeah. Know you know, somebody talked work. about that in our in our finances show. Who was that? Oh, oh, yeah. No, no recollection. He doesn't even listen to me when I'm on the show. Okay. Well, either way, so you're right. Somebody did talk about that, but they have they have a watch app. So I don't know how the interface is going to work. Will I be able to be at a store, just tap my watch and have them scan it or give them a number or something? I don't know. But I don't know. I, I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be great. And um, yeah. so anyway, I, I guess we've talked enough about the watch, but it, it's well, coming. Well, next MPU Live, we might actually have them. Yeah. Well, then we can talk about it more. You didn't say, are you gonna, are you going to pre-order? <laughs> Uh, I haven't decided. I have not decided. I don't know, but, David. Um, my my I, fear is if you don't pre-order, you're not going to um, you're not going to get it launch day. Well, you may I've not get wait. it launch day if you pre-order. I look. I maybe I'll pre-order the cheap one and then go look at the more expensive one. Oh, that, then you know you're canceling your pre-order. Well, we'll see. I, I'm a little worried about spending. You know, I just quit my job, so I'm not all that yeah, excited about yeah. spending the extra money right now. But we'll we'll see. You um, know, Apple Apple Care uh, Plus prices came out for the watch, and I believe uh, I, I probably need to look these up. But I think it's uh, seventy nine dollars for uh, the Apple Watch and a little less for the Sport. Yeah. Um, what I do guess you think about you, Apple Care? That'd be if you scratched it, or I'm not sure what you because you'd either lose it. I'm not, how often would you break it? Well, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, you could shatter that screen if you drop it. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I've, I've definitely, I've never cracked a crystal on a watch display. I mean, it's 59 for sports, 79 for steel and 99, I'm sorry, 999 for gold, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah. Because really you're not, they're going to replace, you're not going to do anything to the gold. It's going to be the, the internals, but I I have definitely, you know, just just banged my hand into a door frame or or whatever and, you know, scuffed up the the face of a watch before. Well, you you're a lot further along in the decision process. I can't even decide which one I'm going to buy and you're All already right. at the insurance level. All right. All right, sounds good. All right. Um listen, why don't we uh take a break? We got a lot of stuff to cover. Um but before we do, I'd like to talk about our second sponsor today and that's our friends over at Fracture. Um you know, Fracture makes the takes your photos and it prints them in vivid color directly on glass. That's what they do. Uh, it's a, it's a whole new way to get your images uh, on your walls. Uh, you can just upload the picture and then they ship it to you. And they, the way they ship it to you is great because they're in these boxes. They're very protective. I've bought a lot of pictures from Fracture now. It even includes the nail or the hook you're going to put in the wall to hang it. Now, oh, it's I a have, screw. They do high high class screw. Yeah, it's, it's like a it's, it is a very good screw. And um, recently I've got into Fracture in a big way. And I've been getting prints made of all the book covers for the Max Sparky Field Guides. And now I have this like wall of fame in my house. I'm so proud of it. And uh, people come in and they look at that and they're like, hey, that's pretty cool, Dave. And 
I've got space up there. So I've got room for the next book. Um, it's kind of exciting. I put it, you know, downstairs in my family room. So when people come and visit, it's something I, I get to show off. And I love this because I didn't have to, you know, I could have like made images of the book covers, but then you got to go buy frames and you got to figure out what's the right frame. And I always forget, is the frame supposed to match the wall or is it supposed to match the floor? Is it supposed to match the furniture? I get confused. Uh, with Fracture, you take all that out. It's just the image itself. And people love the way it looks. So, you know, I've been using these um, now for a couple of years and it in addition to doing my book covers, I've been buying images of my family and we've got some of those hung around the house and they just look really pretty. How many people have right now on their phone or their computer some really great family photos, but they don't have any of them hanging on their walls? That's what, you know, that's that hang up you get because you don't want to go get them printed and find the frames and everything. Fracture just takes care of it for you. You get online, you upload your image, you pick the size and it shows up in the mail. And they're thin, they're light. It's just the most elegant way to dis display your favorite photos. Uh, so go over to FractureMe.com and use the promo code MAC15, M-A-C-1-5. And guess what percentage that saves you, Katie Floyd? I'm guessing it might save you 15%. That's exactly what it saves you. You get 15% off if you go in and you're going to really love these images you get with it. Like I said, we're hooked now in the Sparks house. We've got got them hanging all over the house. I got another one of Yosemite. Our friend Victor Cahiao took this beautiful picture of Yosemite. He emailed it me. I loved it so much. I, I printed it on a fracture. So anyway, um, go check it out. FractureMe.com. We love having them as a sponsor. Show your support for the show and get some beautiful pictures on your wall by going to FractureMe.com using that promo code MAC15. Thanks, Fracture. All right. Well, we've gotten quite a bit of feedback. Uh, so let's start with the um, the, the show we did with uh, Practically Efficient uh, Eddie Smith. And, and he talked a lot about LaTeX. And um, a lot of Mac Power users out there are either using LaTeX or interested in LaTeX. And Bruce wrote in to tell us um, about the a great new uh, app that he's using. And he says, uh, we have several of the more math-focused groups who use LaTeX for Git and writing papers. And because Git does a great job of letting people work on different parts of text documents and merging it together. One thing that I thought you might find amusing is the MathPad iPad app. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. He says you can draw equations with your finger and then render them nicely and then sport, ex export them out as LaTeX. So interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, we also heard from Alvaro, who teaches uh, college math, and he was uh, commenting on Eddie's use of Beamer. And Beamer is an app that Eddie uses to export LaTeX to Keynote. And he says, well, I'm also a heavy LaTeX user, but he's never liked Beamer. So what he does is use an app called LaTeXit, L-A-T-E-X-I-T. And he says, this app lets you write little pieces of LaTeX code that produces a PDF or SVG graphic, among other formats, that then you can embed those in Keynote pages or whatever. And he says, I don't know if it works with Microsoft Office. That's okay. You don't need to know. <laughs> and, uh, you can customize it using a variety of LaTeX called LaTeX, LaTeX X. So LaTeX. X-E-L-A-T-E-X. Boy, I'm going to screw these up. Mm -hmm. uh, so you can to use fonts on your Mac. So if the font has a math alphabet, he can make it work with that. So uh, go check out LaTeXit, L-A-T-E-X-I-T, if you've got an interest in exporting this stuff for use in other applications. Yeah. And again, check the show notes. I've got links to all these. 
Um, Lauren wrote in with a, a link to a product called the Link Equation Editor. And he said in the nicest writer forums, uh, they mentioned that a good alternative to an expensive mathematical equation editor for nicest writer pro is a product called Link. L Y X, and I may be mispronouncing that. Yeah. Oh, Lick. He says the develop. He even told me. He said the developer pronounce it Licks. It's a freeware word processor um, um, front end for LaTeX, and they call it "What you see is what you mean" because it doesn't lay out elements exactly as it will appear on the page, but relative to the positions and arrangements, how it will ultimately be laid out. So that's an interesting one. Uh, we also got a lot of feedback about our onslaught show for uh, for RSS. And uh, David, I can't believe you forgot to mention Yahoo Pipes. Yeah, I think I have to fall on the sword for this one. In fact, <laughs> the first time we talked about RSS, I talked about Yahoo Pipes because I used to be a big Pipes user. And if you're not familiar with it, Yahoo has this service called Pipes where you can take websites and, you know, kind of it, it, they're literally pipes. You draw little lines to draw, you know, take the information out of here and combine it into this filter or whatever and stick it out into an RSS feed. So I used to use Yahoo pipes to go through some of the Firehose style websites mm-hmm. and install my own filters and then get and subscribe to those posts. Right. Um, I stopped doing that because uh, with the feed wrangler and, and also some of the Firehose websites got smart and they have like feeds that are limited. Like I, as I said in the show for the verge, I don't follow everything the verge publishes. I only follow the things they publish that direct directly relate to Apple or culture. And, um, and that's a much smaller fire hose in essence. So I don't need to use Yahoo pipes. I got out of the habit of using it. And in my mind, I was thinking, I know a few years ago, there was talk that they were going to, um, um, they were going to, to shutter it. And then I guess they never did. And uh, several people wrote and say, Dave, you should use Yahoo pipes. That would allow you to avoid paying 19 bucks a year for feed wrangler, because you could just set up those filters as you want and subscribe to those feeds. Mm-hmm. I should go back and look at pipes again. It's been a while. Yeah. And it's probably something that I should look at because I'm, I'm using Feedly and I don't have that, that option. So We'll do. Uh, Doug wrote in with feedback from an older episode, because, you know, we did the, the 10, 10 apps and 10 utilities, and said he was quite surprised that default folder, and is it X, or I think it's default folder X, I'm not sure if they pronounce it X or 10, uh, did not make the list. He said, behind text expander, that is my most used Mac utility. I would never be able to quickly work on a project that involves multiple programs, emailing files, or the need to find recent files in a meeting without this utility on my Mac. When I'm forced to use a Windows PC, it is the utility I miss the most now that I have a text expander substitute on my Windows PC. And, you know, I I own default folder X, I've installed it, and I've used it from time to time. But it seems like whenever I reinstall my operating system, I forget to reinstall it. And so I'm not sure that I've ever gotten default folder X. I've watched Don McAllister's screencast on it. I just, I don't know that I've ever really gotten the power behind default folder X. It's definitely a very powerful tool that I am not fully taking advantage of. Well, we, we did a show on folder uh, finder alternative several years ago, which is probably a little out of date now because the finder has progressed in the meantime, like it has tabs now and, and things that it just didn't have for the longest time. Um, and I, I still have it installed. I still use it. I should have put that in the show outline but you know i guess i missed it too but the um, yeah but we were limited to 10 so yeah that's true but the uh 
I find it, I still have it installed on my Mac. I still use it. I don't use it every day. I use it when I'm like dealing with a big pile of files and I'm going to be doing like heavy finder work. Like for instance, the multiple pane view in default folder X is better than the multiple pane view on the Mac finder. Like you can display two panes at once. Now I realize you could do that with the finder by making two separate windows, but having it all in one window is actually pretty nice. Uh, the other thing it has that, that's really cool is what they call the shelf where you can drop files on it and just kind of collect them in a holding place. And then you can later drag or put those somewhere else. It has terminal view. I mean, there's just a lot you can do. It, it is definitely the finder, you know, uh, increased. It, it, if someone at Apple didn't have anyone telling them you can only do a limited amount of things with the finder, you know, if they could say, go crazy guys, do whatever you want with the finder. That's what default folder X is. And it's still actively developed. If you find yourself limited with the finder resources, you should check it out. Um, I'll look up the show that we did on finder alternatives and put that in the show notes. Uh, so we talked about it quite a bit there, but we may come back to that subject pretty soon because I, I do think things have changed. One of the things that's happened is that the the finder in Mac OS X has improved. Yeah, so, that's show 106, by the way. I've got it in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's improved. It used to be, I mean, there was a couple products in between default folder X, and I forget the name of it, but there was one in particular that really just added tabs. And I think that kind of went away as the the finder in OS X got its own tab system. But, you know, default folder X clearly is much more powerful than yeah. the, the finder you'll find in David, the I, finder that you'll find in OS X. I, I think though, and, and JBB points this out in the, in the chat room. Initially, I thought you were talking about default folder X, but now I think you're talking about Pathfinder. Yeah, I am. Man, I'm losing it, Katie. <laughs> oh, no. We'll just move on. Default, right, so Pathfinder. Pathfinder's good too. Yes. Default folder is the one that, that, that saves the location of your um, yes wow i think i'm i think i just had a moment okay that's how it happens when you get older moment. yeah yeah it's all right <laughs> watch on the brain yeah <laughs> all right and, uh, and turkey uh in the in the chat i like this chat room uh, it was total finder was the uh was the application that used to add tabs i don't know if that's even in active development anymore yeah Okay, so this is just why to we have the chat room to keep default us straight. Finder, default folder X is the app that allows you to save uh, to uh, frequent locations much easier. You know, it resets the default folder. Pathfinder is the app that supercharges your finder, and Total Finder is the app we don't think is in development anymore, but maybe. Okay, um, Bruce. Wow. Yeah, moving on. I think I'm going to go have a drink. I oh, don't you know. Should. Yeah, but let's yeah. wait until the show's over. Yeah. We still got to go for a while. Uh, yeah. Bruce wrote in because we talked a lot about book scanning in the last Mac Power Users Live. Uh, and Bruce wants to know the best or Bruce wrote in with with best procedure to scan books and sheet music. He says, one, scan TIFF in color, 600 DPI. Two, he processes the TIFF in an app called Scan Tailor. Three, he process he imports the TIFF directly into Adobe Acrobat Pro. And four, for books, he uses OCR clear scan setting. And for sheet music, he skips the OCR altogether. That would be really cool if uh, OCR could read sheet music because, you know, <laughs> that would be helpful well, the, for me. You know, there, there's actually some apps out there that do some pretty amazing things when you throw a piece of music at it. Like they can turn it into a MIDI file and do all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not a not a bad workflow. Yeah. 
Um, Scott wrote in about Little Snitch, and uh, he said, you know, he's listening to one of the recent shows, and we mentioned that Little Snitch was used for blocking outbound connections. And he says that used to be true, but for some time, Little Snitch also blocks inbound connections now, too, so you can use it as a two-way communications blocker. Yeah, and you know, I knew that, and I just missed that. So yeah. I'm sorry. I should have known better. Uh, Brent wrote in and said that he wanted to second the recommendation for Sophos antivirus. And, you know, we talked on, I think it was the utility show saying that, you know, we really didn't use antivirus, but that we weren't necessarily discouraging it. Um, and, but said candidly that we didn't really have any recommendations. Well, Brent says that he's worked in IT ever since 1999 and have experienced multiple antivirus offerings in the personal and enterprise space. He says Sophos for the Mac is free, but also can be used and managed centrally in the enterprise if you have uh, enterprise IT shops or listeners who need that. And he said it seemed to use less resources than other commercial offerings on the Windows platforms and has done an excellent job of preventing and clearing out all kinds of bad stuff. Uh, so that's good to know because that was our big complaint about uh, antivirus software is that sometimes the uh, the the cure was was less than the disease in that case. Yeah, they, that recommendation came to me from a friend who I know and trust who is a professional IT person and said, if you've got a Mac shop, Sophos is what you want. And we heard from multiple people, not just Brent, uh, recommending Sophos. So apparently they've kind of pulled out in the front on this. Mm-hmm. Cool. We heard um, from Todd. Yeah, a lot of feedback on the cord cutting episode. Uh, to- Todd was one of my favorite feedbacks of the month. <laughs> Todd, Todd is a uh, hardcore man. Yeah, that, um, that's how I would want to do it. Yeah. Uh, so Todd, so since he was your favorite, do you want to read it? Yeah. Okay. So yep. so Todd Todd had Comcast, and he said he had had enough of Comcast. And I had made the comment on the cord cutting show. I said the problem I have with all of this is I still have to pay a cable company to bring internet in my house. So I don't know if it's worth all the trouble and hassle when I'm still going to have a monthly bill from them. Mm, and I know in some, parts so. of the, in some parts of the world that that's true. That's not true. I mean, but in the U.S. generally, you know, you're going to have your cable providers, probably your cable, uh, your Internet provider as well. So cutting the cord isn't really cutting the cord. Uh, anyway, so he Todd had enough of his cable providers, so he didn't. He cut the cord, really. He said, like, I don't like, want an account with boom, you guys. I, I don't want any internet. I, I don't have, he doesn't have any form of wired internet. And he relies on his iPhone and mobile Wi-Fi device with a 30 gigabyte per month shared plan on AT&T for his connection. And he says he has an excellent LTE connection at his house, so it works okay. He says he can do this because he has an unlimited data plan on his iPad, grandfathered in from the original iPad release. And he watches all his TVs, movies, baseball games on his iPad. And he says he just signed up for Sling TV, which is good, and he's waiting for Apple's rumored offerings. So so he must airplay a lot, I'm thinking, to an Apple TV to get yeah, a lot of this but, content on, on a big But he also says he watches on his iPad. But yeah. I just love that he that he just decided to to just cut the cord entirely. I mean, I've had enough of you. Goodbye. But maybe that's our future. I mean, at some point, why does the internet have to be delivered by these cable providers? Once the wireless technologies get better and they can reliably deliver high bandwidth wireless internet, it would seem to me that would open it up to third parties to get out there and start selling us internet. And boy, when that happens, I mean, this was kind of the hallelujah moment for me reading this email. I'm like, that's what we need. I mean, we need somebody out there to be able to sell us an internet that's not the cable company for a reasonable price. And then all these options become doable and all the big networks have to address it because people are going to want it. 
Right. Uh, But I I still think we are a long way away from that. I mean, we are longer away than you think that we are from that because there are many places in this country uh, and and not to mention the rest of the world who still don't have broadband access. I mean, we we think that we're spoiled, but there are many places that still don't have broadband access. And I, I know, David, you live in a, a very, very populated area, you know, but, you know, even even in, in my town, which is not nearly as large as yours, but, you know, we're still population about 250,000 in, in my suburb here. But, you know, we don't have super reliable cell phone coverage. I mean, we're we're pretty good for, for voice and we've got LTE in mo- most areas, but, you know, it's, it's still spotty. Well, someday that's going to happen. And, and all of us people that have been paying these crazy cable bills for all this time are going to be so happy to, to do exactly what Todd did. He did have a few problems. He said the biggest problem is with apps like the Amazon Prime app, which will not let him stream movies over a cellular connection. Hmm. They require a Wi-Fi connection, which does them no good. Why would they care? Yeah, that is kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, Rick wrote in about uh, TiVo, and he said Bradley commented during uh, the the, uh, cord-cutting show that he uses TiVo to download shows to his iPad and that it removes it from the TiVo. He says, this is definitely not my experience using a TiVo Premiere XL and a TiVo stream in a Romeo Plus, which has built-in streaming. These systems allow me to download almost any show to my iPad for viewing when I'm away from my local network. He said, I also enjoy my Fire TV. I have the full box, and it's indeed fast and very usable. I added the Plex app, which allows me to watch movies uh, from my Plex, uh, from my Synology uh, NAS, anywhere if I have a good internet connection. He said, lastly, you didn't mention that Sony is rolling out a TV package on the PlayStation 3 and 4 models. And also, Sony just ditched their own music platform for Spotify on the PlayStation. He says, I love my TiVo and consider it one of the best things I've ever chosen. And I, I Rick's actually a friend of mine, and, and I know Rick can uh, agree with that sentiment exactly. I do not have one of these newer model TiVos. I'm still using the old TiVo. Uh, some call them the Series 3. Mine happens to be a TiVo XL. And uh, they've never updated them. You know, TiVo just, you know, you don't get the new features unless you buy the new boxes. But mine have continued to work. I have put had to put a new hard drive into one, but that was a, a hundred buck fix. And they've got lifetime service on them. So as long as those box keep ticking, I just, with the other services and the other boxes that I have, I haven't found a compelling need to, to go out and spend 700 bucks or more on, on a new TiVo system. We, um... We heard from Sean. We talked about the um, the sports blackout rules, and that came up about you know the NFL has um, has revised its NFL blackout rules. And Sean said, "No, that it's not what you think. I mean, basically, the blackout rules in the NFL in the upcoming year are just to make sure that they can put it on TV if the um, if the stadium hasn't sold out. He says it's not going to affect streaming, and he says the NFL is starting to look into streaming, but not you know very deeply. It sounds like it's going to be like delayed streaming and things like that. And my feeling like the NFL is just so successful in the United States, whereas Major League Baseball is not as successful as it used to be. It seems like that's why the innovation on this stuff comes from the the league that is more you know eager to to please mm-hmm. and um i don't I, you know i don't watch football so i don't really know but the um it seems to me like we may have a few more years before nfl streams the way that major league baseball does yeah and they have made a little progress i mean they are experimenting some with streaming and scott even mentioned that you know the nfl are starting to play some games overseas i think they've got like games in london and other places and i believe they are live streaming those games so we'll see 
Uh, Scott also wrote in about Elgato's ITV products. And I, I can't believe I forgot to add this to the outline because I used to own one of these. And he says, for years, I've been watching over-the-year content on my Apple TV using ITV. Lots of folks are familiar with the software, but what they may not know is how easily ITV can throw your content into iTunes. It can do this automatically by show, by season, with all the metadata intact. And of course, once you're in iTunes, you're golden. All of the Apple TVs and iOS devices in my home can share the content and you can pick up where you left off in any device in any room. And what may be the best part is the TV guide service for ITV is only $19.95 a year. So now, can you use ITV connected to an antenna, or does this be require no, being that's, connected to no, a that's, cable? No, that's it connects to an antenna service. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, interesting. It's it's basically the ITV is is think of it like the TiVo type software, but your computer or NAS or whatever is actually the hard drive. Yeah. So it's it's cutting TiVo out of the equation. Right. Okay. Um, well, we got a lot more questions here. Do you want to do a sponsor break first? Yeah, let's take a quick break and talk about our next sponsor for this episode. And that is the fine folks over at 1Password. I'm really excited because uh, we actually have a, a listener comment to to talk a little bit about uh, 1Password. And so I love this. I, I want to encourage this. So listeners, if, if you uh, want to send in a, a you know, testimonial, whatever, for, for any of our regular sponsors, uh, feel free to. So um, here's our listener comment on 1Password. Hi, Katie and David. This is Josh Kincaid from North Carolina. I just wanted to give you guys a quick tip on a feature of 1Password that I've seen as invaluable, and it is the wireless network feature. Um, I've noticed that as a college student, I'm often uh, traversing between Wi-Fi networks, and instead of having to ask the person uh, for their Wi-Fi uh, password over and over again, instead of putting it into the device that I'm using, I will put it into one password, so that way I never have to sound like a sting for asking for their Wi-Fi password again. Love the show. Thanks for all you do. Have a great day. You know, that's a really good tip because you can put all kinds of information in 1Password, whether it be website logins, whether it be software numbers, um, whether it be information about rewards and loyalty cards. But there's also a whole configure uh, setting uh, screen where you configure information like email accounts and wireless routers. And most people say, well, it's not that big a deal. I save that information. My Mac just saves it for me. But if you do a new can pave, if you get a new iOS device, you may end up losing that information. And it's it's pretty easy to lose that information because a, a lot of different resets on your phone will sometimes cause you to lose that information. So I really like this tip. And in fact, I do it myself is, you know, when I go over to somebody's house and I get their Wi-Fi password, I will save it in one password first. Uh, and then I'll go ahead and sit, put it in my uh, system preferences and save it there so that if I do lose it, rather than ask them for it again a second time, I know that I can go into 1Password and get it. So um, that's a great tip. And you can save all other kinds of things in 1Password. And of course, one of the beauties of 1Password um, is that all of your information is everywhere, no matter where you need it. It will sync across multiple platforms. It will sync using Dropbox. It will sync using iCloud. Um, or you can also sync locally if you don't want to use a cloud service and keep that information in the cloud. You can sync locally just using a cable or using your local Wi-Fi network. Uh, and they've also got a brand new release to their iOS app with 1Password that greatly enhances the Safari extension. So now you are, can do all kinds of things from the 1Password extension right within the uh, the share extension uh, itself within your web browser. So the 1Password team just continues to innovate. So you can find more information at 1Password by going to their website at onepassword.com. Uh, and if you end up using 1Password or if you learn something new about 1Password, uh, drop them a note, send them a shout out on 
Twitter um, and let them know that you heard about them on Mac Power users. And of course, thanks to our friends at 1Password for their continued support of the show. Yeah, we also heard um, from, hold on a second here, I just trying to research the question while I'm preparing for it. <laughs> Brian wrote in about plain text and file structures. And I've spent a lot of time over the years talking on the show about how I think it's kind of important that you save your important words in plain text. And the advantage of that is that it allows you, it becomes timeless. You know, when you put it into a proprietary word processing format, there's always a problem. And he says he'd like to learn the balance of long-term value of writing in plain text versus incurring dependence on long-term survivability of applications. And the one he calls that as Ulysses, uh, but he also uses an example in Vialt uh, file structures. And what I would recommend is, you know, what he, and his concern is, what if somebody, what if this company got bought out or shut down? You know, what would happen to that data? Um, most of the apps we recommend on the show are pretty friendly towards that. Like in Vialt, you have the ability to save the files as plain text, which is what I do. I have a, I have a folder on my Dropbox that is a, just a full of these plain text files for NVALT and all the work is done right inside there. Um, uh, so that's fine. Uh, Ulysses, I don't have the full answer for you. Because I've heard different stories and accounts, and I actually wanted to write the developer so I could get a final answer for Brian on this. But it sounds to me like the Ulysses format is text-based, but there is some work being done in there. I'm not sure how exportable it is. Uh, an application like Scrivener, I know for for certain saves it like as a package file. So you could always get the text back out of it if you needed. And I suspect Ulysses may do that too, but I don't want to say that with certainty yet, but um, uh, that is an issue. And if they're important words, make sure you save them as text. If you're working on them and sometimes out of necessity, you're going to have these words eventually land in something like pages or Microsoft word or iBooks author or some type of, of format that is proprietary. In all of those cases, there is and Ulysses as well. There is an, there is a way to export the file as plain text at the end and make sure you do that. I mean, if it's important to you, there's no reason why you can't have an extra text file. It's going to be a very small file size and you can store it wherever you want. So I guess the um, the easiest solution is to use applications that that natively keep it as plain text. But if you have to go into something that requires formatting, just remind yourself to export it at the end. Like I do that with all of my Max Berkey field guides. When the book is all done, it's an iBooks author because I've been making little edits as I worked on the book. Uh, I always export it as plain text at the end, and it feels good knowing I've got those that pile of words somewhere that I that you know my grandkids can read. He exports really... it as plain text. He saves it. He prints it out and he puts it um, in a safe deposit box. And I and I print the cover on glass and hang it on my wall. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, you print the front cover and the back cover on glass and you sandwich the paper that you've printed out between yeah. those two pieces of glass. Yes. And I print them. I don't print them on just paper. I print them on um, um, Parchment? silicone wafers or yeah, yeah. something like that. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we had a, a question from Ed. He says, I've been listening to your podcast since discovering you a month or so ago. So welcome, Ed. And I'm still relatively new to the Mac uh, after decades with the PC. In the podcast about contacts, you say the best thing to do is to combine all of your contacts into a single account. I'd like to do this, but I don't know how. I have contacts in Exchange, and he says Outlook 365 for business, Gmail, and iCloud. Many duplicates exist, and invariably, I'm looking for an address that's in an account that I've not connected at the moment. What can I do? And um, David, I, I I know we've 
I thought we had covered this on a previous Mac Power Users Live, but I can't find it. So maybe it was something that we had prepped for a previous show and then had to cut because of time constraints. So if we have before, please forgive me. Um, but I, I think it's a, an important topic and one that if we, even if we have covered it before is, is probably not bad to, to cover it again. But, but I agree that unless you have a very specific need to keep your contacts in multiple places, um, for example, my contacts live in two places. I have one set of contacts for work and another set of contacts for personal um, because we have a shared contacts database at work and have to have a set for work, but then everything else is personal. Unless you have to have a setup like that, my recommendation is that you keep all of your contacts in a single account because you're going to find that it's much easier for you to manage, to organize, and stay on top of all of your contacts. But if you've gotten yourself into a situation where you've got a few in you know, Outlook or let's say Exchange 365 and you've got a few in Gmail and you've got a few in iCloud, what is the best way and you've just decided that you're going to clean this up? And I have some suggestions for that. Um, but full disclosure, I'll tell you that this is not an easy process. It's it's going to require some time and some patience and some manual labor because, you know, you've kind of created a mess and at some point you're going to have to go clean it up. So my suggestion is the first thing I do is wherever your contacts are, wherever they exist, back them up um, as they exist, export them as V cards or some kind of non-proprietary format and put them all in one place and back them up so that you know that you're not going to lose anything. And then I would say, decide where you want your contacts to live. I would suggest that that be on a cloud-based platform that's going to sync. I personally like iCloud. You may decide that you like Google, but, but pick one. So let's say for this particular example that you've decided that your contacts are going to live in iCloud. Um, now, as kind of a pre-step here, if you know that maybe you've got some contacts in Yahoo, but you haven't updated those since the early 2000s because you've never really used Yahoo since then, well, maybe you can go through there and see, is there anything in there that I really need? Or is that information so out of date that it's not even worth saving? Maybe you can just discard some of those out of the bat, or maybe you can selectively import those. Um, so maybe you can do some of this work. But what I think you do is is you take all of those contacts from all of those various places and import them all into one master account. So the trick is step one, get all of your, or step two, I guess is where we are. After you've made your backups, get all of your contacts into one primary cloud-based account. So let's say iCloud. Now, all of your contacts are going to be in iCloud delete them from everywhere else except iCloud. Delete the contacts that are living locally on your computer, delete the contacts in Exchange, delete the contacts in Google, delete the contacts in iCloud. After you've backed them up, step one, and after you've imported them into iCloud. Now, you are going to have a mess in iCloud. I get it. But you should have all of your contacts in iCloud and they should be syncing. So now what you're going to do is you've only, at least now you've only got one place that you're dealing with these contacts. You're going to have to go through the process of cleaning those up. Um, and that's going to be the process of merging duplicates, figuring out what is the most up-to-date contact information, um, figuring out what you can get rid of. Now, some of that you can do through automation. I personally like the tool Contacts Cleaner or Contact Cleaner, and it's available in the App Store. I put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, but candidly, a lot of this is a manual, arduous process. 
Now, some of it you may have been able to do in a previous step because maybe some of those contacts you didn't import at all because you just knew that they were out of date. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you, in my experience, the payoff is worth it. David, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think be very careful. Contact Cleaner is a great app, but be very careful with any of its its procedures that involves deleting contacts. Because once you turn that over to the computer, you may find it deletes a lot more than you wanted, which is why Katie said back up everything first. Um, I, you know, I've just gone through this because I I left the firm and now I don't need an Office three sixty five account anymore, and and I have one database. It's my it's my iCloud address book, and it's got the stuff from my law stuff. It's got the Max Barkey stuff. It's got my personal and I'm in bliss. I mean, it's just so nice having it all in one calendar system. You don't have multiple instances of the same name and my calendar, I mean, my contacts have been, are in better shape than they've ever been. Uh, the other thing I would recommend checking out is there's a new app out in the market called Busy Contacts uh, by the same yes, guys. Make yes. Busy Cal. And Busy Contacts works so good with, it does work with Exchange as well, but I mean, it works so good with the iCloud stuff and it allows you to do tags. It just brings a lot more power to contact management than I'm used to having on the Mac. And it's become really essential tool for me as I work through, you know, I'm running essentially two businesses off my iCloud contacts and uh, busy contacts is a really nice kind of power step. If you want to get better at that stuff, yeah. Katie's right. It's a lot of work, but you know, once you get it done, it, it, it feels pretty good having it sorted out. Yeah. Um, also thumbs up for, for busy contacts as, as well. I've been using that as my, my primary contact solution for a while. All right. Next up, we have a, a question from Mike and, and David, you, you may have some thoughts on this cause I think you might've done this before. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, let's hear it. Hi, David and Katie Floyd. This is Mike Froble. Before I ask my question, I wanted to thank David for waving me off from family sharing. I was just about to set it up when David said, stop, it's not fully baked yet. Which leads to the question. My family of five is sharing the same iCloud account and a separate iTunes purchases account. How do I go about splitting up the iCloud account? It's been on my family tech to-do list for a while, but continuity is pushing me into splitting it. Every Mac and iDevice in the house lights up when I get a call on my iPhone, and it's making people crazy. I want my wife to keep the current iCloud account because it's her email. But then I need the iCloud Drive's contents. They're my ByWord numbers files. And I want to share the family calendars and contacts. We need a synced calendar to keep track of the schedule for our three kids. Any suggestions? Thank you. I think okay. speaking of another manual, labor intensive and arduous process, you got one on your hands here. <laughs> well, you know, it's not that bad. No, so, it's not that bad. So Mike is kind of the traditional uh, iCloud implementation. And we talked about this on the tech and family show um, that just came out this month. Uh, um, I don't think they've heard it yet. Well, by the time the by the time the show out, comes will, out, they will have heard it. Yeah, yes. So for the live audience, you haven't heard it yet. But the um, uh, so traditionally you had you started you know you started down this this walled garden you entered with a single iTunes iTunes password and account that you got with your first iPod probably and you're great you know you're buying music you're happy and then suddenly Apple keeps adding more devices and maybe you're growing from iPods to Macs and iPhones and suddenly that one account isn't good enough because while you want to be able to share the music with your entire family, you don't want to have the problem that Mike does that when you get a phone call, your wife's computer starts ringing, you know? So uh, you need to have separate iCloud accounts and Apple accommodates this. So what Mike needs to do is he needs to go in and set up a separate iCloud account for himself and his children. And 
and I did this with my kids before they could walk, you know, because I am that <laughs> geek. But, you know, I said, and back when it was Mac.com accounts. So, but anyway, as soon as my kids were born, I'm like, okay, Samantha, you know, what? I don't want to give away my kids' password email or I'll get in a lot of trouble for that too. But anyway, so you can Yeah, please it out. email David's children at. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but you can figure it out. So um, you set up a... Um, you set up accounts for them immediately, and those are separate iCloud accounts. And the wife's, so he wants his wife's account to to remain as is. Go ahead and leave it as is. She can run her calendar and everything through there. Uh, when Mike sets up his new iCloud account, he needs to copy all the data out of the iCloud account for his wife's account and upload it to the iCloud account for himself. And that way he's got his documents in his iCloud account. Now, on each of the individual devices under the settings, uh, there is a setting for App Store and iTunes Store where you can say, what iCloud or what iTunes account do I use for purchasing apps and music? And that can be his wife's account. And that can be on all of the devices, but the iCloud settings will be their own individual accounts. Yeah, and so, I think I may have misheard him, but I believe he said that they already have a separate iTunes account. Yeah, well, I, as I understood it, the wife's account was was also the iTunes account. Maybe I'm wrong. But if they have a separate one, then you use that one. But the point is, you all have your own iCloud accounts. But for the purchase, the purpose of purchasing music and apps, you use that shared account. And that's kind of the traditional way people have got around it. I think Apple embraces it because they make it possible. Um, it's not family sharing. And uh, we talked about on the Family and Tech Show how we hope that eventually I'll be able to transition to more of a traditional or a, a family sharing scenario where it's not goofy like this. But for the time being, this will work just fine. Um, I don't think this is that much work for Mike. And it will allow him to just have his computer ring when his phone rings. Uh, the, the one piece of that I heard that's going to take a little work is just making sure you segregate the data. So you're going to need to get the, um, probably you want to get the, the iCloud address book out, you know, export it and import it to the new account. You're going to want to get the, definitely get the iCloud documents out of there. And with and iCloud Drive, that's, that's easy now because it's just really yeah. a drag and drop from the finder. Yeah, so all that stuff is not that difficult, but he does want to set up separate accounts for each person. Now, with the kids, I would also recommend separate accounts because then each one of them has their own calendar and, you know, you can set up a shared calendar with them. We do that in our house. So everybody in the Sparks house is always updating their calendars and we all share them with each other. So I know if my daughter needs to go to rehearsal, you know, she'll share it with me if I need to get her there. And it all works actually really well. I mean, I, iCloud takes a lot of beating, and I was pretty hard on family sharing, but the ability for my family to share um, calendars and work together with contacts and at the same time share the music and apps works absolutely no problem. Yeah. And and Mike, I, I may say, and if you're not listening live, you, you'll hear the family sharing show before this. You may want to try family sharing. And I don't want to get into a whole discussion. We talk about it a lot on that show, but not everybody is having trouble with it. And the people who are having trouble with it seem to be people who are trying to merge from other accounts. You may find that your setup is conducive to family sharing. Now is the time to try it because you're trying new things anyway. So you may want to segregate your accounts and then try family sharing. And if it doesn't work, you haven't lost that much because, you know, you don't have a lot to lose right now. Yes. Now may be a good time to try it before you yeah. get too deep into another system is what I'm yeah, saying. And I, and I did say in that show that there, there's actually quite a few people that have written me saying that they like family sharing. So yeah. I just did ha I had a bad experience with it. So. Yeah. So, but the big thing is step one, get everybody their own account. Step two, Mike, segregate your data and pull it out of your wife's account. And then step three, start setting up some, some shared, you know, things like shared calendars and all. Family sharing will make that easy. Of course, you can do it 
you know, separately as well. So Brian wrote in with another question. He said, I have a question regarding OmniFocus. It's great for organizing tasks, project management, etc. But what happens when you come to the moment of truth, i.e. how do I implement the tasks that are scheduled today? OmniFocus does not let me rearrange the tasks. He says, although I can use a clunky workaround of opening each task and setting a different time, but you know, you know, to try to manually organize them. How do I group task, you know, or I can group tasks by uh, context or play the old game of prioritizing tasks ABC style. He said, am I missing something? Um, and, and so his question is, so I've got a, I've got a list of tasks that I know that I want to complete today. I can see those on my screen, but how do I actually know how, how do I prioritize those and, and get those done in order? He says, am I, am I missing a vital part of this? He says, I know that the purpose is not to fiddle with the app. The purpose is to get things done effectively and efficiently. And I had a couple thoughts on this and, and David, you may have more, but depending on, on how many tasks you're talking about, I, I tend to have a, a today view where I prioritize tasks that I'm going to do today. And I've created a perspective for this. And I know David, you've shared um, your perspectives on this as well, but I tend to have a today view where I look at what are what are the tasks that I'm going to do today? What are the tasks that I can do today? And I've, I've set up a perspective for that. Beyond that, I don't care what order that is in because I'm not going to see 50 tasks in my today view. I'm I'm probably only going to see, you know, a dozen or less tasks. And I would say that if you're seeing hundreds or, or 50 or dozens of tasks in your today view, then maybe you've got that today view, you know, maybe you need to look at rejiggering the way that, that that is set up because realistically, are you going to do all of those tasks today? Maybe you should probably look at changing some of your perspectives a bit so you actually have the tasks that you're going to do today. Um, once I get those down to the, the, the dozen or less tasks that I'm actually going to focus on and actually going to do today, I personally don't care. Um, I don't bother to put them in order. This is the one I'm going to do first. This is the one I'm going to do second. This is the one I'm going to do third. I just look at them and I start working on them. You know, at that point, it's it's easy enough for me to pick the one that I'm going to do. To, to me personally, I find that too fiddly to go in and try to put them in order. Um, however, if you want, uh, here's a tip. You can drag items out of OmniFocus to your calendar. So if you want to block out time to complete a specific task, uh, you can drag that task out of OmniFocus and put it on your calendar. So you can then use your calendar as a way to block out time to do specific tasks to do them in order. Um, I mean, if you feel the need to, you you can manually rearrange tasks. Uh, sometimes when I'm just feeling very overwhelmed, I'll take my task list and maybe I'll physically write out on a piece of paper or a post-it note the top five things or the top three things that I need to do that day and, and put a post-it note on my computer or, or sit it next to my keyboard just as reinforcement uh, to know what I'm going to be working on. But that's what I do. David, any other thoughts? Well, the follow up on that last point you made, rather than use a post-it, I would recommend flagging those and just make a perspective that just shows flagged items. And sometimes I'm like, OK, I really need to drill in and I have three flagged items and just show me those. Uh, but but getting back to Brian's uh, question, I remember I know where he I know where you feel, brother, because I I grew up with using the Franklin system, which was the ABC one, two, three kind of priority. And I was very, you know, careful every morning to do my ABCs and one, two, threes. And I had this great list in order and it made me feel really good about myself, but it really didn't make that much of a difference. And when OmniFocus started going in betas many, many moons ago, I uh, 
I thought that may be a problem for me that I can't, you know, set the order. And what I found was, um, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I think you just, just go with OmniFocus for a while and see what you think. Um, or any task management that doesn't use the ABC priority. I think it does, uh, get into the point where you have a lot of, um, fiddly time setting those priorities and you may be better off trying, as Katie said, getting the list down to a smaller list and you can use times as well. Like for instance, in the morning, I may schedule a bunch of items to 1 PM and then keep my list small for the morning. And that allows me to kind of essentially prioritize the morning tasks for the, versus the afternoon tasks. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so Brian, give it a try and see what you think. If you really want the ABC one, two, three priority, then this isn't the app for you. Um, last question we received from Paul in our uh, Cutting the Cable uh, episode, I mentioned that I hide my HD antenna in a closet and then I backfeed that channel through the cable. And this is through the coax cable uh, to feed the whole house. And Paul wanted to know, how do I do that? Um, and so to try to describe that briefly, um, the, the antenna itself is actually hidden up kind of uh, at the top of the closet and I've got it mounted up there. And then I use... Um, some mounting products that I do uh, to um, uh, to kind of feed the cable nicely uh, back behind to where I need it to go to to filter into where the plug is in this particular room. And I, there's actually a really nice product. I'll try to remember to to put a link into the show notes um, to the product that I use to hide the cable so that it just runs along the baseboard. Um, the trick is, is that you need to find in your house somewhere you have a junction box where um, all of the tangle of your cable wires come together. And those wires are the wires that the main feed from the house comes in. And then depending on how many cable outlets you have in your house, you should have a corresponding number of wires that somehow come into a splitter and then split off into the various rooms. Now, if you can, this is a good opportunity to go ahead and label that junction box, figure out which one is your main feed coming into the house, figure out, okay, this is the master bedroom. This is the living room. This is the guest bedroom, you know, figure out which one goes where. And some of that's trial and error, you know, unplug something, see what turns off and, you know, plug it back in and see what turns on. So once you've got all those labeled and figure out where they go, um, thankfully mine, I made them label it when they built the house. But once you figured out where all of those go, um, in my case, I knew what was the feed to the guest bedroom. So I took the feed to the guest bedroom. I unplugged the connection that came in from the cable company that came in from the street. And I took the feed to the guest bedroom and I plugged that into to the import. So instead of the cable company's wire coming in from the street, then the feed that normally would go to the guest bedroom was now the in. Uh, and so what this meant is that the antenna was now pushing the feed through to everything else in the house. So that's what I mean when I said I backfed it um, through the house. Now, the only other thing you have to be aware of is you've still got to get your cable modem. If you have a cable modem, uh, that feed has got to get into your house somewhere. And this was not a problem for me because of where my cable junction box is. Um, I was able to connect my cable modem right there and then feed that to my router. So I was able to come directly from the, the main inline in the house to my cable modem um, and then from my cable modem to the router. So depending on where that junction box is, you know, it may take a little trial and error to see what the best solution is for you. But in a nutshell, that's how it works. I'm, I'm going to get you uh, one of those uh, tool belts, you know, okay. and, and, the, and the hard hat. 
I'm going to invite you over to my house and say, Katie, fix my cable for me. I don't I don't have a hard hat, but I, I do have lots of tools. And I, I do frequently fix those kind of problems for, for family members. You know, when the when the cable is not looking good or I, I've, I have commonly saved the cable company from coming out because usually it's I, just, you know, bad splitters or something. Yeah. Years ago, I spent like 20 bucks and bought the, the crimper that, that cuts the end off the cable so you can put a new connector on the end. Yeah. I have saved so many uh, friends and family members with that one device. Yeah. Because, you know, usually the problem, a lot of times the problem with their cable is just the cable goes bad at the junction between the, the physical screw and the, the cable itself. If you just cut it and put a new end on it. Have you ever, have you got that tool yet? I don't. I need to get that tool. Oh, man. I got it. I got, I'll share mine with you. Okay. Just let me know. Just come over and pick it up. Bring All right. Some, uh, I'll get you some lemonade and loan you my crimper. Perfect. Okay. Um. Uh, last sponsor today, and that is our friends over at Fujitsu. And, you know, we talked earlier about scanning with your phone, which is great, but nothing really beats having an awesome scanner on your desk. And I particularly like my iX500. It's sitting next to me right now as I lovingly pet my scanner. It's it's the ultimate scanner for your device. You can put any uh, stack of paper in there and it'll just zip through it no time at all. It's got the ability to scan both sides of the page at the same time. So it, and up to 50 pages, will just crank through this thing. You'll be able to save it. Uh, some people wrote in though and said, well, Dave, that's great, but I want something a little more portable. And uh, what I would recommend in that case is the IX100, which is the ultimate in portable scanners. It can scan at 300 DPI. You can do a scan in 5.2 seconds and it'll fit in the glove box, the briefcase, the backpack. So if you don't want to mess around with this phone stuff, you can just bring the scanner with you. It's USB powered and it now has wireless scanning. So you can you don't even have to have it connected to your computer or your or your iOS device. It just scans into it. And all of this stuff comes with the great Fujitsu software, whether you have the X500 or the 100. It's got the ability to uh, do the OCR right on board as it brings the documents in. Uh, you can set all t- sorts of settings in terms of scanning quality and ability. And they're just a company that really respects the Mac platform and the Apple ecosystem a lot better than a lot of the other scanning vendors do in the past. Um, you can even scan straight to uh, Evernote or Dropbox or whatever your choice is. Uh, so Fujitsu's got all this stuff covered. If you go over to easy.com slash SSMPU, ScanSnapMPU, uh, they know that you came from the from the show and you can get a really good example of all the different scanners that got available. If you're going to get the big one, I still recommend going with the IX 500. If you want the, the portable one, the IX 100 will also take care of you. But either way, get yourself a good scanner. Get all that paper off your desk. It's just going to feel great. I think a week doesn't go by that we don't receive a few emails from listeners that have finally got on board with the paperless scanning with their scan snaps. And they're always so appreciative. And the one comment they always make is, why didn't I do this sooner? Well, this is your week. Go get yourself a new scanner. Awesome. Well, I think we should probably uh, wrap out the show this week. Wrap out, round out. Uh, what better way to, to end episode 250 uh, with some listener tips? Because that's that's kind of what we like to do on these nice round numbers, right? Yeah. So we've got two or three here. Let's start with Bob. Yeah, here's Bob. Hi, Katie and David. This is Bob from New Hampshire calling in with an inexpensive solution for monitoring a wireless webcam remotely. My total setup costs less than $40 although it does require you to have an always-on computer running on the same network as the wireless camera. I get notifications on my iPhone if the camera at home detects motion, and I can review photos taken during the motion event from my iPhone later if I wish. 
I can also view a live video feed. To do this, first you need a wireless camera. I got a very basic D-Link 930L, which is currently running $30 on Amazon. If you want night vision or a better picture or an upgraded camera, that'll work too. It'll just cost you a bit more. Next, you install the excellent and free iCam source from skjm.com on your home computer that will act as a server. It works with either Windows or OS X. In my case, I run it on my Mac Mini. Follow the instructions to set up your camera and then have iCam source begin to monitor it using the camera's IP address on your network. You can configure iCam source to detect motion even if your camera doesn't support that natively, and most importantly, to take a series of still images when a motion event is detected. Configure iCam source to place the directory where it stores the captured motion event images in a folder on your Dropbox account. Now buy the $5 iCam app on the iOS App Store so you can get the notifications on your iPhone. Although you could probably do the same thing using If This Then That if you prefer. When you get the notification, you can view a live feed through the iCam app. If you miss the action or are busy, you can always view the captured images by using the Dropbox app to look in the folder where the images are stored. iCam Source creates a timestamp subfolder for each motion event. I use Hazel to archive any subfolder older than 36 hours to minimize the number of event, of event folders I need to scroll through. This approach will support multiple cameras and it's very cost effective. Plus, you get the satisfaction of having a do-it-yourself solution. I really enjoy the podcast. Please keep them coming. Thanks. I thought that was a great way to uh, set up a video system. I I'm looking into this, as I've said in prior shows, we're, we're killing our... Um, actually, I don't know if I said it on the show. I think we said it offline in one of our offline conversations, but I've been paying way too much money for our in-home alarm system, and I'm definitely uh, looking at these solutions now. Yeah, I have a I have a similar solution using uh, Wemo and actually the same uh, D-Link camera that that Bob mentioned. In fact, I put a link to the D-Link camera in the show notes. I I have this bad habit, and and I've I've never actually done it. But I don't know about you, but I drive halfway to work, and then I realize did I actually shut the garage door, and then I end up flipping around to see whether I did or not. And so what I actually did is is I put one of these D-Link cameras, and Bob, they're not super high resolution cameras, but they're good enough to see, okay, who is that person? And and you can tell stuff. So I put one of these D-Link cameras in my garage. And so it's inside and it's, it's you know, protected from the weather and it's close enough that it can get on my, my Wi-Fi network. And I point it towards the garage door. And then what I did is I got one of these Wemo motion sensors. So similarly, it's, it's inside, so it's protected from the weather. And I also pointed it towards the garage door. So any and I, I set up Wemo so that anytime the garage door opens, um, on a Monday through Friday during hours that I'm typically at work, Wemo is going to send me a notification on my phone saying there's activity in the garage. And, uh, you know, so it took me a little trial and error to get it configured just right so I didn't get false alarms. But so Wemo sends me a notification that says there's activity in the garage. And whether I'm curious as to if I close the garage door or not, or I want to see what's going on in my garage, what caused my garage door to go up, I just, uh, D-Link actually has an app uh, for the iPhone that's a free app. So I just have the D-Link app on my phone and I pull up the D-Link app and see what's going on in my garage. And you know what, David? I actually caught a thief last week. You did. I did. I got a notification at like two o'clock in the afternoon that my garage door, there was activity. I popped open my garage door and I saw this thief come into my garage, take my fertilizer spreader and shut my garage door. 
So, was the thief your father? No, it was my brother. But <laughs> so I called the thief. I sent the thief a text message and I just said, hi. It freaked them out. <laughs> big brother's watching. Yeah. Big sister, actually. Big, big sister is watching you. Bring me yeah. back my fertilizer spreader. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, so we'll, we'll do a show on that at some point because I, I think that, uh, home, uh, alarm systems is, is a really interesting topic and much more doable now than it's ever been before. Uh, Bill wrote in about a keyboard maestro tip. Let's hear about that. Hi, David and Katie Floyd. This is Bill from Georgia with a tip for that tool that no Mac power user should be without keyboard maestro. Keyboard maestro has something that it rather ominously calls the conflict palette menu that comes up when you've probably accidentally given the same keyboard shortcut to more than one macro, and Keyboard Maestro doesn't know which one you want. I use this feature to group related macros. I intentionally assign conflicting shortcuts. All the macros I use to manage websites have the same shortcut. All my finance and banking macros have another, and so on. I just hit the group shortcut, then choose the one I need from the menu by letter number or with the mouse. That way, I don't have to remember a bunch of different shortcuts. Plus, I get a visual cue as to what action I'm about to trigger. It's something that's easier to see than to describe. Just fire up Keyboard Maestro and give it a try. And I think you'll find that the conflict palette can help you get things done. That, that should be a feature. That's such a great idea. I think it is a feature. Well, yeah, it kind of is a feature because like, I've got text things combined that way. Now that I think about it. Yeah. My text keyboard maestro snippets. Okay. Well, anything to add? No, I just, I need to set it up. I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Oh. Um, Turk wrote in about, cause we talked about, um, you know, with Instapaper now has the ability to read. Turk kind of wrote in about his solution using pocket. Hi, Katie and David. This is Turk Yalajaji from Saudi Arabia. I'm 16 years old and I'm a voiceover user. When I was listening to the Onslaught Visited episode, I thought that I should share my way to read news with you and your listeners. If it's an important blog, for example, maxpocky.com or katiefloyd.me, sixcolors.com, maxstories.net, all these really important blogs that I do not want to miss anything they post, I will do the following. I will take the RSS feed for each one of them and put it in a if this and that recipe which is if new feed item came from this feed then send it to pocket and then I will link my pocket account with the app called voice stream reader from Winston Chen that you mentioned in your show a couple times a couple of times then I just need to press refresh on voice stream and boom, my articles will be there. If it's some blog that I really want to read but not that much, I will put it in my RSS reader, which is Lear for iOS. Thank you so much for the great work. Bye-bye. I love so, so many things about that audio comment. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Turk is 16 in Saudi Arabia. I don't think we've ever had a Mac Power Users listener from Saudi Arabia write in before. Yeah, well, we have them. We've heard from them, but we've not had one sent in an audio comment. Yeah. So, yay. And uh, and he's rocking if this, then that to, to get this straight across. So he's basically skipping RSS 
Or using RSS to send it directly to Pocket for his favorite blogs. To send it to VoiceStream. Yeah, and then VoiceStream has the ability to link to Pocket, and then you can go in there and listen to them. You know, I since we did that episode, I'm actually running a test of Instapaper now. I'm going to do a post kind of comparing Instapaper and Pocket, because it's been a while. And Instapaper got a big update right after we published that show. Right. And um, the... Uh, uh, it's you know it's the paper still is very good and but the um the ability to read my rss feed articles is just not something i need very much you know i i love the idea of doing it but usually when i'm driving around i'm probably listening to a podcast or talking to somebody on the phone so we'll see anyway uh thanks a lot turk for that and uh i'm with katie thanks for sending your note in from saudi arabia Katie Floyd, 250 episodes, 300 and God knows how many hours. Yes, a lot <laughs> and, uh, of hours. And you know what? I feel like I'm just getting started with this show. I have so much more I want to say. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing 250 more with you. At, at um, least, at least. But, you know, we'd like some of our listeners to join us on these episodes as well. You know, we've, especially on these Mac Power Users Live episodes, we've we've got our mini workflow segments at the beginning of each episode. Um, and we still do our regular workflow shows. And sometimes people send us pitches for the mini workflow shows and they turn into full-blown workflows. In fact, I think one of the episodes that we have later this month, uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but is a really cool listener who who sent us in to say, "Hey, let me tell you about this cool thing I'm doing." And David and I said, "Oh no, you're you're do- we're doing a full episode on you." Um, so we're we're putting out a call for our listeners that if if you're doing something cool with your Apple technology, um, and and you think the world needs to know about it, or at least the Mac Power users audience, which is not quite the whole world, but uh, send us a pitch, send us an audio pitch, in fact, uh, record it up and send it to feedback at macpowerusers.com. Try to keep it under two minutes. And uh, let us know what you're doing with your technology. And uh, we may contact you about coming to do one of these live shows on the first Saturday of the month. Um, or you never know, it may go further from there. Yeah. Um, Katie, we have a thing in the outline about tech we're playing with. You want to you want to cover that quickly or you want to wait till next month? Oh, uh, no, we've we've done the last couple of shows. So let's let's cover this very quickly. Um, one of the things that I've picked up in anticipation of the Apple Watch is I picked up the Moshi, and I think that's how you pronounce it, M-O-S-H-I, Palm Guard for my 13-inch uh, inch MacBook, I'm sorry, MacBook Air. I almost said 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro, but I did not, David. Um, that, is that a Freudian slip? It was almost a Freudian slip. <laughs> no, I've I've decided that I'm going to rock this uh, 13-inch MacBook Air for a little while longer. And if I'm going to do that, I might as well protect it. And so this is um, basically a high-quality sticker, for lack of a better word, that you put on the palm surface area. We allu- alluded to these a little bit in our previous Mac Power Users episode. I think David wrote in, and t- another David wrote in and told us about them. Um, but it's basically a high-quality sticker that you put in the palm area of your MacBook uh, to protect it. And basically what I wanted to protect mine from was scratches from my watch. I, I've i noticed that I've seen computers and, and MacBooks particularly that have scuff marks on the palm area from people who, who wear watches. So I've made a point that when I'm typing on my computer and I'm wearing a watch, which is frequently, I tend to take my watch off and set it next to my keyboard, which is I'm just, I'm, you know, you know, just 
one day I'm going to lose it. Thankfully, I haven't yet. But I really don't want to be taking my Apple Watch off and on for, for obvious reasons. So I uh, I picked up this Moshi Palm Guard so that I can continue to keep my watch on while I type. And it's been working out great. I've been using it for about two weeks now. Um, haven't you know, noticed any problems with it. It's It looks classy. It's not quite a perfect match uh, color-wise, but it's allowed me to keep my watch on while I'm typing without worrying about scratching up the surface of my MacBook Air. So easy. I, I went really kind of kind of low tech with my tech pick this month in that I got tired of buying and throwing away batteries. Okay. You know, and we have lots of batteries in our house for various devices. So a couple months ago, I bit the bullet. I went on Amazon and I bought from the Amazon's basics, a big set of double A and triple A batteries and a charger for them. And now we've been using them in the Sparks house for a couple months. So rechargeable and, batteries, obviously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. So we just, we just went all rechargeable batteries. It ended up costing me, I think about 60 bucks to get a, a decent number of batteries and chargers for the devices we have in the house. But now when the remote goes bad, we just, you know, swap the batteries and recharge the old ones. I'm now using them also in my trackpad and my keyboards. And, um, it's kind of nice not having to buy batteries anymore. And it, you know, I know this is kind of old tech, but it seems like they've got better over the years and it's not that expensive to go all rechargeable in your house. So that's something I would recommend checking out. And I went, ended up just going with the Amazon basics. I, I didn't really study them in detail, so I probably don't have, there, there may be somebody out there that has a better idea of which ones I should have bought, but the basics were, were a good deal. And, you know, with Amazon prime, they'd show up in a couple days. Yeah. I use the, um, I think it's called One Loop, but they're spelled E N E L O O P. Rechargeable batteries. I've yeah. been I've been pretty happy with them, although I've clearly got one bad one that's in rotation somewhere because I've got one device that that keeps running out early. So I just need to find where that bad one is and get it out of rotation. Yeah. So you're you're all rechargeable as well. Um, mostly, you know that uh that door lock that we've got that automatically locks and unlocks that does not do well with rechargeable batteries. So I'm I'm all yeah. rechargeable except for that. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, we got to the end of episode 250, Katie Floyd. We did. Congratulations. Um, and we will be back uh, next month or with Mac Power Users Live. Remember that that's going to be on the 9th next month, uh, not on the 2nd. Uh, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode in our show notes over at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. Uh, and thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Drobo, Fracture, 1Password, and Fujitsu. Uh, we will see you all next week. 